Well, we're into uh, part 11 of our series in Ephesians. And um, I tell you, I'm loving this book more and, and wishing I had uh, given us a lot more time to deal with it. But we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 5 today. We're going to pick it up at verse 21. And we're talking about family matters today. Ephesians is the source of our, of our key uh, verse for the year which is summarized behind me on the wall, we are carefully joined together in Him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We are carefully joined together in Him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. That means we're being brought together. So after all these weeks of talking about our identity in Christ and talking about you know what it means to live a worthy life, to live wisely, not foolishly, about being one with Christ, about being united together as as God's people, the body, Paul now turns to family relationships, something we deal with each and every day. And, um, you know, if you, uh, whether you're single living alone or you've got a house full of children or your adult kids are near or far, um, some for some of you, they're too near, like inside your house and you would like for them to move on. Um, right. Whether you're taking care of your your aging parents, life in Christ defines your relationships. And I, I want you to think about what happens when relationships get done correctly, when relationships get done right. It's, it's good for each other. It's good for you, right? It's good for your neighborhood, good for your workplace, good for the economy. It's very good for the gospel, right? In a good marriage, for example, people are generally physically healthier. They're more financially stable. Their kids will need less counseling um, later on. Um, they'll probably, your kids will probably marry well and follow Jesus too. And when you love your spouse well, you're, you're more connected. You're, you're less likely to fall to an affair or a divorce. You're both happier. There's just a lot of things that go right when relationships are done well. So we're going to read what the Apostle Paul wrote, who himself was a, uh, an older single adult, and what he wrote about relationships in the church, family relationships. Let's stand together and read Ephesians chapter 5. Starting at verse 21, we like to stand for the reading of God's word. It's his message to us. Ephesians 5:21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is, a, is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, for husbands, this means to love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Now, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor 
your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. There's two more relationships, actually, that are talked about we're not going to get to, and that's workplace relationships. Slaves or employees and masters or bosses. Employees, you're to submit to your, to your boss and do good work. Uh, employers, to treat your, your employees well, for you all have the same ultimate boss, Jesus Christ. But in these relationships, the, you know, I want you to understand that the difference between religion... And faith, and we talk about this sometimes, the difference between religion and faith is this beautiful thing called a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, my friendship with Jesus keeps me accountable in my relationships with people, and and those relationships only work with mutual respect or submission. So we could say this way, relationships in Christ are defined by mutual respect. Relationships in Christ are defined by mutual respect. Paul says we submit to one another because we honor Jesus. I'm using the phrase here, mutual respect, but uh, another good term is honor, to honor each other, to honor one another. Um, you know, that means we listen to each other. We, we, we think about our words and our actions. We take each other seriously. We, we're, we're not all the same. You've got to understand that we're not all the same. We have different roles and even different measures of authority. But in Christ, we're equals. Um, submission is really not about uh, control or domination. Uh, we really want to understand that where there's control or fear, right, there's no love. And where there's no love, there's resistance instead of submission. So biblical submission is always by choice, never by force. It's not coerced. So relationships in Christ are defined by mutual respect for one another. And in these next verses, then Paul jumps specifically into family relationships. The most significant of these family relationships is marriage. You see, there's an otherness in a marriage relationship, right? The two are become one, but the two are not the same. Husbands and wives, while, you know, equal in our worth as people and equally in Christ, we have different roles. We function differently. It's, it's meant and designed that way. It's another reason why the same-sex so-called marriage is a logical contradiction. Right? You cannot marry two things that are the same. They, even when you talk about things like Oh, it's a marriage of ideas or, or in art, they talk about, you know, a marriage of, of, of styles. The, the implication is we have two things that are different and we're bringing them together into one. That's the implication of marriage. And so we're given a beautiful picture here of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church as a marriage relationship. It doesn't mean we're the same as Jesus, that we're, we're equal with him. No, it's, there's an otherness in our relationship with him. And the two are brought together. In marriage, different but equal. So specifically, let's look at the first verses there, verse 22, about wives. For wives, this means submit to your husbands, husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. Now, some of us are going to get a little stuck on that submit word. It's a little, doesn't sound nice, 
to many of us, right? Um, But the point is this. Wives are to be like the church. Wives are to be like the church. Now, the church is the beautiful bride of Christ. The church, as it's meant to me, is astonishing. It's magnificent. So, when he makes this comparison, this is a this is a high compliment. Wives, you're you're like the church that Jesus Himself has chosen as His bride. That's the comparison. Now, what happens when a church does not submit to Christ? Well, she's unfaithful, right? She rejects Scripture. She abandons truth. She flirts with culture. She ignores the poor. She doesn't share the gospel. She doesn't baptize and make disciples. Eventually, she may just become completely irrelevant or even die. That's a church that won't submit to Jesus, her groom. And what happens when the church does submit to Jesus? Well, Jesus is her Savior, right? Verse 23 says that, that that, um, Christ is the Savior of His body, the church. The church submitted to Christ can expect His care and His provision and His leadership and His Protection, even in the hard times, because Jesus promised that we would have trouble in this world. You will have trouble, but don't be afraid of overcome the world. A submitted wife can expect the same of her husband that, you know, some some that kind of care and protection of practical ways to be submitted to your husband, to, to let him lead without constant correction or nagging or belittling him. Speak well of him, both to his face and behind his back. Um, don't expect him to be like you. He's not you. He's different. Except that men and women are different. Our brains work differently. So let him care for you and protect you. Seek his help, his direction, his input. Assume the best. Assume that he means well. Even when he blows it, and when he messes up, assume that he meant well. He's trying. Right? Um, so... Um, yeah, we're not quite as bad as we're always portrayed in every television commercial um, as complete bumbling idiots, but we do need a little help, let's be honest. Um, so, assume the best. I, I recommend at the same time that you learn to be powerful, even as you submit. And what do I mean by that? Well, to be powerful means you learn to say, look, here's what I need in this relationship. So, uh, in the 23 plus years of marriage, um, my wife, Becky, has, has had to do this. She's helped, needed to help me understand how to love her better. Um, she's able to say, look, here's what I need from you. Here's what those words that you say do to me. When you say that, this is what it does to me. I mean, she's had to kind of coach me along. I won't say necessarily train me, but she's coached me. <laughs> right? And, uh, and little by little, I'm a slow learner, but I'm, I think I'm getting better. Um, she's, she's her own person, but honestly, she wants me to lead and it's a risk for her because she's got to trust that I'm, that I'm going to love her in the process, that I'm not going to crush her or overwhelm her, that I'm going to promote her strengths and her interests and opportunities. I'm going to encourage her to be what God has made her to be or is in the process of making her to be. So respect cannot be demanded. Respect can only be granted or given. Um, Paul doesn't say husbands earn her respect. It says wives submit. Wives give your respect to your husbands. If you're wondering how do, how do we summarize this, you could do this. Ask how should the church relate to Jesus and then do that. 
How should the church relate to Jesus and then do that? I recognize this is a kind of deeper conversation. So we'll come back to this again sometime. But let's keep moving into verse 25. We're going to talk about husbands. Husbands, um, to mutually submit includes loving your wife by laying down your life for her. Right? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, what, happens when, what happened when Jesus gave up his life? Well, verse 26 says, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. The church is, is cleansed by Jesus. And so that Jesus can present the church holy, clean, without blemish, spotless, beautiful to the Father. It's a reference, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a reference back to the Old Testament, um, you know, sacrificial laws when they were to bring a lamb for the sacrifice and the lamb was to be without blemish. It was supposed to be, it couldn't be a sick lamb or had a broken leg or patches of wool missing and it'd be a, a beautiful, perfect lamb. That was the representation. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus, but it's also the same kind of image we're given here. Husbands, we, we do that for our wives when we love them as Jesus did. What, is it, what does it mean to lay down my life? Well, it means to do as Jesus did. I, I sacrifice everything. Including, you know, your right to be right. Your right to be appreciated or heard or recognized or acknowledged or told how wonderful you are. Right? It's also that she can be made lovely. Your actions can make her beautiful. As verse 26 says, you spiritually, as Jesus does for us, spiritually wash her when you're in God's word on her behalf. Verse 28 says this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I, I've, I've seen lots of guys who love themselves really well by giving lots of time to the golf course or the gym or their sport or the TV or their work or their bank account or their hobbies or his parents or whatever, that's not laying down your life. That's loving yourself. That doesn't mean you don't love yourself, but he's saying, look, in the same way that you take care of yourself, take care of your, your wife. Just as the church is the body of Christ and Jesus takes care of the church, we're called to love and care for our wives. Make those daily sacrifices to lay down your life on her behalf. Guys, married guys, you've got one job. Put her ahead of your own needs. So financially, you do all you can to provide well for her. If you've got kind of a hobby that is a bit of a money pit, like, I don't know, fishing or boating or cars or something else, you make sure that she's first and her needs are first. Provide well. Emotionally, um, you put her ahead of yourself. Learn to be a great support. Try not to glaze over when she's talking to you. If it's not a good moment to say, you know what, I just got home from work. Just let me decompress for a little bit before we talk. You do find ways to actually listen, pay attention. I, we've done this by, I have had to say to Becky, look, you have to get my attention first before you talk to me. Otherwise, I haven't heard anything you've said, even if I've nodded. <laughs> she says, you didn't, you're not listening to me. I'm like, no, because you have to get my attention first. I'm like a little boy. You say, Brian. I'm talking to you now. And then I listen. But um, that's what I mean. Coaching. It's just coaching, right? 
So learning to be emotionally present. How about verbally? Guys, use your words. Use your words. Talk to her. And be kind. Don't be sarcastic or cutting or find ways to get a quick laugh like we do with other guys. Use your words to build her up, to lift her up. Physically and sexually. Guys, learn, um, first of all, learn to care for your home. You know, one of, the, one of the sexiest things I do is I take good care of her house. She loves that. It says that I care for her and I, I'm providing a, a, a safe and secure home for her. When something's broken, I get it fixed. I don't let it drag on because it says, I love you when I do that. Sexually, learn to be a great lover, husbands. God has given you this amazing, beautiful act of sexual intimacy that is just uniquely for you and her. Learn to be a great lover. Seek to please her and make her needs first. And she'll respond accordingly. She's like a flower that opens up. It's a beautiful thing. So for Becky and I, the most important word in our, in our relationship, and she actually had to work today, so I, I checked in these things with her before I came up here, but um, I'm not dumb. Well, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. So um, for us, the most important word in our relationship has become the word connection, right? Every relationship is on a continuum between connected and distant, Right? And so, I, I, we check in with each other. We're, we're feeling kind of disconnected. What's, what's going on? Or, you know, like, let's, you know, are, are my words moving me more toward connection or more toward distance? Are my actions moving me more toward connection or more toward distance? And um, my goal is connection. So I can constantly just use that little checking point. Are we more or less connected? Well, if I'm less connected, what do I need to do to get more connected? Um, Pastor Stephen already mentioned the uh, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage conference. Becky and I are going to be there. and um, It's been in the bulletin for a while, so I, I, I don't know if any of you have registered or not yet. I, last I checked, there was still room for registration, which honestly, I don't understand why the thing wouldn't have sold out in the first week. Um, you know, if you've got a good marriage, wouldn't you want it to be better? And if you have a broken marriage, wouldn't you want to fix it? I mean, to me, it's just like, yeah, either way. Um, this is the guy that speaks, Mark Ungor. He's, the, he's a former pastor and, and leads these conferences. And you can imagine he's a little, he's a little goofy. Um, but uh, but we're, we're going to go because we want to grow. And even if only one of us wanted to go, we would still go because that would be the loving, submissive thing to do. That's how it works. So most wives willingly submit to a husband who seeks the Lord who loves Jesus, who builds her up, who protects her. He's in the Word, in God's Word, the Bible. Right, Guys, the more you seek to please her and serve her, the more she will respond in the same way. Generally, that's how it goes. Husbands are to be like Jesus. Two more relationships we'll just dip into real quick. Um, Carrying on into chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on the earth. This is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. That God, um, you know, God gave His laws to the people of Israel for them to experience life instead of death. All his commands were for their benefit, including this one. So it's fair to say that children are to be like God's people, Israel. See, 
Israel, however, never seemed to grasp that the commandments were for their benefit, was for their good. God was on their side, you know, and they didn't really recognize that, that it was a reciprocal relationship. Um, he, God wanted to see them flourish and prosper under his care. But instead, they just continually rebelled and pushed back and did their own thing and rejected his commands. And as a result, they suffered curses and punishment, loss and even death. And here in this passage, Paul's reminding the Ephesians of this very perfect command, complete with a promise, good life in the land. Right. It's it's a really practical thing for for children. Obey your parents. Listen to them. See, when my when my children, I've got two sons and when they trust me, when they obey their parents and I've got excellent sons, let me just say that right now. Um, Appreciate you guys very much. Um, Most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) All of the time. Yeah, I've got great sons, great sons. Um, but when they obey their parents, they benefit from the better connection that we have. See, a good connection means less friction, less relational strain, less resistance to one another. And when children submit by obedience, parents are that much more to go to bat for them on their behalf. They're more motivated to help them succeed, more motivated to help them prosper in life. Kids then are more likely to follow Jesus themselves, which is going to bless their lives immensely and generations to come. Even as adult children, I think, we're really blessed when we honor mom and dad, um, speaking well of them, showing respect, serving them, helping them as we're able. Some of you live really close to mom and dad. Some of you, like me, live a long way away. And so we've got to figure out creative ways. How do we do that? But to honor them. But I would say, children, youth in particular, if you are struggling with mom and dad right now, if you're in rebellion toward your parents, I would ask this. How is this to your advantage? How does it benefit you to push back hard against your parents? Your life will not be better by rejecting them. Um, doing things your own way. That said, I know we have also excellent children in our church. This is where you parents get to applaud for your children. <laughs> All right, one last thing. Children would be like Israel. And then lastly... Fathers are to be like our Heavenly Father. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is probably the most challenging one for me, honestly. Uh, The NIV uses a great word for this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The the actual um, word is do not um, make angry or provoke to anger your children. See, as dads, we desperately want our kids to succeed and honestly to not embarrass us. That's kind of the two things. We want you to succeed and don't embarrass us. And our efforts then to direct our children can run the risk of taking place of God, becoming God in their life, taking the place of the Father. Instead of us being like the Heavenly Father, we try to come in and be the sovereign ruler of their life. And that's not what we're meant to do. To bring them up in the instruction of the Lord is to lead them in the Word, to to let the Lord be the influence and control in their lives. And not we ourselves. Not we ourselves. You cannot control. Goodness, you can barely control yourself on a good day. There's no way you can control your child or someone else's children or your spouse. Right? So we bring them up in the instruction of the Lord and let the Lord lead them and direct them. Um, and so we're, we're preparing them for independence and preparing them for godly decision making on their own. That's our job. 
And you've got to remember this. God loves your children more than you ever could. He really does. So the Heavenly Father does not push you to exasperation. So we don't want to do that to our kids either. He instructs, he disciplines, he loves, he guides, but he doesn't frustrate you. And so, guys, for all those times I frustrated you, I'm sorry. That does happen too. So in the church, we're not all the same, uh, but we are uh, all to submit to one another. Wives, be like the church toward your husband. Husbands, be like Jesus toward your wife. Just think about that. What would Jesus do for the church? That's what you get to do for your wife. Children, be as Israel was meant to be, living in obedience to your heavenly, to your parents and also to your heavenly father. And then dads, be like your heavenly father, the way you love and guide your kids.